We thought you'd come With a crown of gold A string of pearls And a cashmere robe We thought you'd clench An iron fist And rain like fire well, Good morning. Welcome to Faith on Hill's online Sunday morning service. We gather together every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., both online and in person. Now, in person, we are at our building on Hill Road. We gather together for prayer, worship, and song, studying the Bible together. We have kids' church on Sunday mornings, and we have youth group on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Then we meet throughout the week in small groups, and you can find out more information at by emailing smallgroups at faithonhill.com. Our small groups meet throughout the week in homes, online, in person, different places, different times, because people have different schedules. We are also a drop-off site for the Toy and Joy program serving underprivileged kids in our community. And so if you have toys uh, for kids, we are a place you can drop them off. Additionally, we will have our Christmas carol and communion service uh, the Wednesday night uh, before Christmas Eve, and then Christmas Eve is a Sunday, and we will have our standard our standard Christmas service, which is a family service. It's a shorter service, shortest sermon of the year, and then uh, New Year's Eve is also a Sunday, and we are going to have a breakfast service together, so you can show up. It's really chill. We'll have breakfast together and uh, enjoy a good time. If you have a Bible, we are finishing our study in the book of Colossians today, and we will be in Colossians chapter 4. Well, we ended last Sunday with verse 1. So chapter 4, verse 2 says, Devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way that you act towards the outside or towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear faithful minister, a dear brother, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you, and they will tell you everything that is happening here. So Tychicus is the messenger, the courier. He is the one bringing the physical letter to the Colossian church from Paul. We don't know much about him other than this. He's responsible for bringing the book of Colossians to the world. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. Um, I grew up in Christian culture. My, my family went to church. Now, my dad grew up as a church kid. My mom is a convert. She came to the faith from an unbelieving family. But we grew up in Christian culture, youth group. We only listened to Christian music. Um, you know, we, we were very selective in the movies we were allowed to watch, the TV we were allowed to watch, a lot of Christian stuff. Um, if, you, if, if, if I start saying like, oh, there was a lot of McGee and me and Adventures in Odyssey, people who grew up, that are my age, grew up in church culture, understand what I'm talking about. 
My kids, on the other hand, we kind of made a choice not to raise them in church culture. Oh, they've gone up in church. They've gone to church their whole life from day one. They've been part of the church of Jesus. But church culture is a different thing. Why am I talking about this? Because church culture lends itself to celebrity. It lends itself to an almost idolatrous hero worship. There are people who gain great renown. And it's always people who have a very certain particular set of skills or giftings. And and this changes and it ebbs and it flows. In some eras, in some decades, in some generations, all of the emphasis is about the evangelist. And the famous Christians of that time are evangelists. And we can think of names like Billy Graham or Luis Palau or Greg Laurie or in previous generations D.L. Moody and so on. Or all of the emphasis is on a preacher. And in, in, in you know, the 70s and the 80s, it was all about the, the radio preachers and the Bible teachers. Chuck Swindoll, Chuck Smith, Jack Hayford, again Greg Laurie, who kind of did both in the last several decades. Um, these are the, the well-known types. And then it went from the radio preachers to the preaching podcasters, you know, the Matt Chandlers and the Mark Driscolls and the Tim Kellers and the Joel Osteens. And they, they did technology in a different way, but it was the same idea. Um, And then in different eras, there have been musicians who have been, you know, getting all the notoriety or, you know, this or that. What about the people who brought the letter? See, Paul has all this notoriety because he wrote the book. But Tychicus braved the, the dangers of travel in those days. Bandits, weather, wild animals, uh, privations, all of these things to bring this message to the church in Colossae and Laodicea, and then by extension, the rest of the world. I think about this all the time because I'm up on a public platform. I'm on a YouTube channel or a podcast or people show up on Sunday mornings to hear me talk. But what about people who are making things happen behind the scenes that nobody's ever heard of? Don't they have just as much a share in the ministry? I believe that's the case. I believe there are people you've never heard of who, from the kingdom's perspective, are just as important as Billy Graham was to the ministry that Billy Graham had. And I think we should not forget, just because Christian culture has this tendency to elevate certain people, I think we get it wrong a lot of the times. Tychicus was an incredibly important person. Now, it says he was coming with Onesimus. You can go back on our podcast uh, streams, and we did a series of the 10 least read books of the Bible. And if you check out the book of Philemon, you'll find out all about Onesimus. And I talked about uh, him when we went through the book of Philemon a couple summers ago. So I'll leave it at that. Then there was verse 10. He says, my fellow prisoner, uh, Aristarchus, sends you his greeting, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him, and if he comes to you, welcome him. Aristarchus, I'm probably not saying his name right, is mentioned a couple of times in the scripture. He was imprisoned, uh, taken captive by this mob uh, in, in the book of Acts with Paul. He was always around. It's talked about that he set sail for Rome with Paul in the book of Acts. He's always around in hard moments. There's actually several Bible scholars, and I don't know how I feel about this theory, but there are several Bible scholars that think that the reason he's listed as my fellow prisoner 
is that to be able to go with Paul, because Paul was taken from Israel to Rome. He's probably writing the book of Colossians and the book of Philippians that we just studied from his imprisonment in Rome, waiting to go before the emperor. Because Paul, as a Roman citizen, had the right, he was on trial, and he had the right to say, I appeal to Caesar. That was how important Roman citizenship was. Now, if you appealed to Caesar, they'd send you to Caesar. But you better have a good reason to do that and to bother the emperor. But you don't get to just take anybody with you. Luke came along as Paul's physician. Oh, okay. Well, you're bringing a physician? Sure, we'll bring him along. Uh, Timothy got to come along, uh, and we're not really sure why, but there's some thinking that what the reason that uh, Aristarchus is listed as fellow prisoner and why he got to come along is that he actually legally made himself Paul's slave so that he could get in. Like, hey, I'm going to legally make myself Paul's slave, so then they'll have to let Paul take me along. I don't know whether that's true or not, but I think the idea is that it speaks to how he's regarded in terms of his connection to Paul, his work in the ministry, and he's somebody that history has sort of forgotten. And I think it's somebody worth acknowledging the, the links that even if he didn't sell himself into, er, sell himself, even if he didn't legally put himself into slavery or servitude uh, for the purposes of serving the, the gospel and serving the work of God, uh, that he is so regarded in the way he's talked about and what's recounted about him in the, book, in the Bible that we could believe that this could be true and somebody worth remembering. Now he says, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, this is almost certainly John Mark, the same one who wrote the gospel of Mark, the same one in the book of Acts who abandoned Paul. See, he went with Paul and Barnabas on one of their missionary trips and then halfway through he just bailed flaked out on them, abandoned them, deserted them, betrayed them maybe. You, who knows how you want to look at it. And yet here he is with Paul again. There's another uh, one of the epistles where Paul says uh, that John Mark is coming because he's useful to me. There was a restored relationship. What I think is really neat about that is that these aren't just words that Paul talks about and says, and it's like, oh, that sounds nice. But he was living them. Do you remember at the end of the book of Philippians where Paul was speaking to these two uh, women, uh, Euodia and uh, Syntyche? They have, uh, I'm not g getting those names right. But you, you remember there were these two women and they were, they were at odds with each other. They wouldn't speak to each other. And he was pleading with the church in Philippi, can you help them to find healing? Can you help them to find forgiveness? Maybe they're not going to be best friends again, but can you help them to find peace? Because they are both sisters in Christ, and they have been my co-laborers in the message and spreading of the gospel. And the idea that John Mark, who had abandoned them, and Paul didn't want anything to do with him. They were going to go out on another missionary journey, and Barnabas says, hey, let's give him another shot, and said, Paul says, no, I'm not bringing him along. He's not trustworthy. And it was such a sharp disagreement that Barnabas and Paul never worked together again. They went different ways. And now there's healing. He's speaking well of Barnabas. He's got John Mark along with him. This healing work has happened. He's actually living out the message of hope, peace, forgiveness, reconciliation. He's living what he's preaching. And he says, hey, if he comes along, you know he's a good guy. Listen to him. Then he says in verse 11 that Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends his greetings. 
We should remember that Jesus is the, the kind of Greek or anglicized version of Jesus or Yeshua, Joshua. It's a very common name among Jewish men, especially in that day. So there were a lot of Jesuses around. And now he's starting to differentiate himself as um, justice. You know, don't, don't associate me with Jesus. It's an interesting thing where European culture uh, has largely moved away from naming anyone Jesus. Uh, but Hispanic culture, of course, there's a lot of Jesuses out there. And it was apparently still a very common name for Jewish believers to have. And, and that was just part of the deal. So he's uh, sending his greetings. And then he says, these are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Now, why is that important? Because what is it he said in chapter 3? There is no slave or free, male or female, Jew or Gentile. And what he is saying to the church in Colossae, who would have been largely Roman citizens, largely Gentiles, he says, hey, do you see how we are working together in peace? That Jew and Gentile working together, making this happen, I've got these, these Jewish guys here, and I'm about to list these Gentile guys, and we are working together. Old, young, rich, poor, black, white, liberal, conservative. But Jesus is what matters. Jesus is what brings us together. Jesus is what's more important. You know, that's the thing. If what is most important to us is our identity, if what is most important to us is our ideology, and it's something other than Jesus, then we'll have division. And we've seen far too much of that in the church in America. But here he is saying, hey, look, we're living this out. John Mark, who I, had, I was estranged from, but now we are living in restoration. These brothers who are from one group and these brothers who are from another group, and yet we are together, working together. We are living out what we have been talking about. Verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, and a servant of Christ Jesus sends greetings. And he was talked about previously. Remember, they, uh, he is kind of like their messenger. And uh, they sent him over to Paul to, to work. And so he says in verse 13 that I vouch for him that he is working hard for you on your behalf and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis, which is another town in the region. He says, our dear friend Luke the doctor and Demas send greetings. Now, Demas... We don't really know much about him, to be honest. He just says he sends greetings. It doesn't say much about him. Uh, we don't know why, and some people have tried to read into this because in 2 Timothy, Paul says that Demas abandoned him. And so it's possible that there was already sort of a breaking of relationship. It's also possible that we're just reading far too much into that. He says, give my greetings to the brothers and the sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. So apparently, the church in Laodicea was meeting in this woman's house, or there was another uh, church somewhere that was meeting in this woman's house. Verse 16, after this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. So apparently he was sending another letter to Laodicea. What's interesting to me is that we don't have that letter. Uh, for whatever reason, that letter was not deemed to be scriptural. Now, We've got uh, the Starting Points podcast that has talked about why certain things are in the Bible. I've talked previously on Sunday mornings about why 
certain things are or aren't in the Bible. I don't feel compelled to talk about it here and now, only to say um, that this is what God intended for us to have. Verse 17, tell Archippus, see that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Now, Archippus is one of their ministers, one of their pastors, and, and he's just saying, hey, tell him, encourage him, tell him to keep going. And I'm so thankful we just had, I, I don't know who decided that October is Pastor Appreciation Month, but we had a Pastor Appreciation Month, and I had just so much encouragement from the church, and I'm so thankful for that. And then he says that he's writing this greeting in his own hand. Most likely, any of the epistles that we have, the letters of Paul or Peter or John or whoever, it's very possible that they were written by a scribe because parchment or scrolls were valuable and you don't want to waste them. So you have whoever has the best, clearest, most concise handwriting, that's the person who writes and you give it to them verbally and then they write it down and you double check it. But here at the end, it seems Paul wrote the last part with his own hand. And I, I'm guessing he's saying that I'm writing it with my own hand uh, because you're, you would notice it went from really nice, clean writing to lesser. I would imagine if it's like if, if somebody was transcribing something I wrote and then me with my terrible handwriting at the end writes a little message, you know, hey, this is directly from me. Now you might have noticed that I skipped over the first few verses. And that's because this is what I wanted to end with and I wanted to focus on. Verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, be watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should and be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Because Jesus died. That's been the big idea. Week one, chapter one. Because Jesus died, we are called. Because Jesus died, we are called into the kingdom of heaven. Because Jesus died, we are called to serve him. Because Jesus died, we are given specific callings and ministry. Week two, because Jesus died, we think differently. Hey, now that we know the truth, our thoughts are different. I, I just... Um, went through a bunch of training, uh, a bunch of, uh, you know, kind of seminar sort of things. And, and I got a whole bunch of stuff. This last week, I got to sit in um, and watch an educator, because you guys know, you may not know this, it's, it's, it, it, it's common knowledge in the church, but a few years ago, I got my substitute teaching license. And uh, it was originally just to help out my kids' school, you know, keep it open during COVID, because they, you know, you'd have half the staff sick and, and they didn't have enough teachers. And then I just kept renewing it. I, I kind of liked doing it and uh, think I was okay at it, you know? And, and so recently I got to sit in on a, on a observing a teacher, you know, basically how they uh, teach phonics. It was very interesting. And a lot of it was stuff kind of I already knew or stuff that I kind of intuitively knew. And it was just, oh, oh this puts a lot of things together. But when we talk about you know, thinking differently, when you learn new things, when you go to a seminar and you're tr you have a training or you have a, 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 a lecture given or something and there's new information given, you have to process that. You know, I remember years ago, I went to a, a seminar for, for pastors and church leaders. And a lot of times, can I be honest, you go to these, these seminars for pastors and church leaders and it's like boilerplate kind of stuff. I've heard this before from five or 10 different people. But I remember this one session was really challenging. 
And, and there were a lot of things that I had to process through, and I came back and somebody said, well, what'd you learn? And I said, I, I know I learned stuff, but I'm not ready to talk about it yet because I need to process through. Because I had been given new information, new perspective, and I had to process through and wrestle through my thinking. So when we say, because Jesus died, we think differently, it's because we now know the truth that God has made this way of salvation and Jesus has died to save sinners and he has forgiven all of our sins and all of this truth that we have and we think differently. And then last week we talked about how because we now know the truth and we think differently, that's going to affect how we live differently. And we had a conversation about what it looks like and what it means to live differently. And lastly, here in, in chapter 4, because Jesus died, we have a mission. We have a mission. And, and the reason that we live differently, because we think differently, and now that we're living differently, what do you do with that? You just sit around like, oh, we're just a bunch of people who are weirdos and look different and live different or whatever. No, we have a purpose for all of this, this mission to proclaim the good news. We've been healed of the cancer of sin and death, and now we have the answer, and we want to share it and proclaim it in any and every way that we can. Because Jesus died, we have a mission. And he says, devote yourself to prayer. Be watchful and thankful and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message. I've been so challenged and encouraged in prayer. You know, we were praying for over a year for this boy. Nobody in our church ever met this boy. I had never met this boy. I knew his family from way back. I brought it to the church and our list of things we prayed for. And I, the church just grabbed hold of it and prayed for this boy. And he died. And many of us were talking after, what was the point of all that? And somebody said a really challenging word, and they said, it mattered. What we did as a church mattered, even if we don't see it. It changed us. Praying for him changed us. We have this mission. It's talked about in the book of Acts, to be a witness of Jesus and to make disciples of Jesus. If you are praying for people, it changes you. If, if you see people as only enemies, Paul talks about outsiders in verse 5. And so many Christians see outsiders as enemies. What if you prayed for them? It's really hard to hate people you're praying for. What if you pray for those on the outside? What if you devote yourselves to prayer for the lost how, how long can you go praying every day for lost people and not be compelled to be a witness of Jesus and to make disciples of Jesus? He says, pray that I proclaim it clearly. I pray for people that I know who aren't preachers, who aren't evangelists, who aren't pastors, but they have open doors in their communities, in their workplaces, in, in school, at home, in, in different settings. And I pray that they would be able, to, in some way, to proclaim the gospel clearly. I pray that they would know how to speak when not to speak, because they have the opportunity to bring Jesus into a place that I will never be able to go. He says, be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders and make the most of every opportunity. First, let me say there will always be opportunities to share the good news of Jesus. But you have to be wise about it. 
He says in verse 6, let your conversation be full of grace seasoned with salt. I know Christians who just want to bring salt. They just want to bring that, I'm just going to bring the truth and I don't care what you think about it. I know people like that. I'm just going to tell you what's true and if you don't like it, then you can go and, you know, bleepity bleep. I've actually, you know, I've heard Christians say that. Paul says, hey, be full of grace, full of love, full of hope. I'm going to say full of optimism, seasoned with salt. Jesus talked about salt. Jesus said, hey, you know, salt, it seasons, it, 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 it challenges, it, it, it's something that preserves, it's something that's important, it's life-giving. But if you have nothing but salt, it's no good. You know, if you have a dish that's got a little bit of salt in it, it tastes good. If you dump a whole bunch of salt in it, ooh, you know, um, you ever heard, you heard people that they're making cookies or muffins or something and they dump a bunch of sugar in only to find out that they dumped a bunch of salt in. A little bit of salt in a chocolate chip cookie, amazing. A lot of salt instead of sugar, whoa, that's not good. We have a mission. Because Jesus died, he's given us this mission to be a witness with how we live, with our words, with our deeds, with our actions, to live out before a watching world the truth that we believe. And then when people believe, we make disciples. We show them, this is how you follow Jesus. But he says, be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. We have to think about that all the time. How can I best engage people who are outside of the faith and be winsome and welcoming and inviting, not tricking anybody, not baiting and switching, full of grace. And there are some who only want to have grace and no, no salt. They only want to have love and no truth. And then there's other people that just want all heavy truth bombs. And bombs don't heal. Bombs don't make whole. Full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I think one of the things that happens with Christians, and they get scared to talk, is they don't know how to answer everybody. Full of grace. I was talking to somebody recently, and they were talking about things that the Bible would call sinful. That the Bible would call abominable. And as I was talking to them, all I could say is, Lord, help me to show your grace in that moment. And I think God gave me the right words to say. I'm thankful for the way that that conversation went. I don't feel in any way that I compromised the truth. But if you have a general conviction, a general grasp of the grace of God, Every person I meet needs the grace of God. Every person that you ever talk to needs the grace of God. Every person that you interact with could be hurting, could be lost, could look like everything's put together. Only if you were to like look behind the mask, you would find out there's great pain, trauma, hurt. Every person needs grace. We don't want to lie to people. We don't want to tell people everything's okay if it's not. But every person needs grace and mercy. And I keep coming back to this. If we devote ourselves to prayer, it's really hard to hate people that we're praying for. If we devote ourselves to prayer, God can change 
us. If we devote ourselves to prayer, then we will know how to answer everybody because as we pray, I believe that we get ourselves in line with the heart of God. Jesus spent the night before his crucifixion praying and he ended that time of prayer with not my will, but your will be done. That if we end that time of prayer, we come out full of grace, seasoned with salt so that we may know how to answer everybody. There are times when people come up to me and they'll say something and say, I don't know about that. Can I get back to you? And then I'll go pray. Lord, can you help me to answer these things? I've been thinking through this. I've been wondering, can you help me to process these things? Sometimes we know how to answer everybody because it's already within us. The truth of the gospel is within us. The work of God is within us. Sometimes we know how to answer everybody because we go back and we pray. We say, can you give me time to respond? And we go back and we pray. Paul's been talking to them about holy living. He's been talking to them about holy thinking. He's been talking to them, if you go back and look at chapter 2 and chapter 3 especially, things that are hard for us to process through, things that might be challenging for people. And yet he says, devote yourself to prayer. Because we have a mission. And it's not a mission to get people to become church members. It's not a mission to get people to believe a certain way or like a certain music that we like or to, you know, agree with everything we agree with. It is a mission to tell people about Jesus and let Jesus do the work. And as we devote ourselves to prayer and as we say, Lord, make us wise with the way that we deal with outsiders, I think we can come to a place where, you know what? It's not perfect. It's messy. That whole thing with Paul and Barnabas and, and John Mark, and there was like division and they were broken. And then later on, we know Demas and Paul have this falling out and, and there's stuff going on and you just go, man, church is not always pretty. Sometimes it is messy. But here we see Jew and Gentile, old and young, slave and free. Everybody's working together for this common purpose of telling anyone and everyone the good news that Jesus forgives sins. That Jesus not just forgives sins, he destroys sin. We have this freedom. And as we come into the Christmas season, we rejoice and we celebrate that God cared so much about us, that he came into this mess of a world that we have so that we could be set free brought from darkness into light. God bless you. We'll see you next week as we continue to study God's word together, getting into our Christmas series. And you can join us in person at Faith on Hill, 1030 every Sunday morning. You can subscribe to all of our online content. Just search Faith on Hill Church on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube. Check out our Facebook page and our website, faithonhill.com. And if you consider us your home church, you want to support the work God is doing here, uh, you can check out the giving uh, tab on our website. God bless you. We'll see you next week as we continue to study God's word together.